How I Overthrew the Dungeon Master by Becoming Truly Divine This story was submitted by our viewer Dan. Thank you! In my campaign multiverse, there's a being that oversees the cosmos. He is creator and curator, carefully plotting the movement of the stars and the streams of time. He works tirelessly for eons behind the material veil, on the incomprehensible cosmic math behind the clockwork of reality. His name is Rictoros, God above all gods, and the multiverse is his machine. He is not some product of my imagination built for the setting, but the product of an ill-fated game run by a DM who had little to no respect for the system and the free will of the players. This is the story of a veteran DM dismantling a charlatan. This is the story that is closest to my heart. This is the story of my greatest D&D achievement. This is the story of a time I played a Scion. I began running 3.5e in my senior year of high school and continued my journey through college and beyond. In college, I would set up in the game room, purposefully putting a gap in my schedule long enough to run a pickup session. Since it was a great way to reduce stress, this was a daily occurrence. There were some repeat visitors to the game room I ran in, one of which was a Rubik's Cube obsessed individual. Appropriately, we called him Rubik's. Instead of joining the session, Rubik's observed me and my players, making comments about how their ideas were lifted from an anime no one had ever heard of before and insisting on using its Japanese name. If that was not annoying enough, he repeatedly butchered any Japanese words he would offer to the group, deeming his opinions on any matter of ours irrelevant. Near the start of my spring sophomore semester, he came in asking anyone if they want to play a campaign he's running in 3.5e. He walked in with no books, no campaign notes, no character sheets or even dice. All he had was his ratty bag and a Rubik's Cube. I'm sitting between two of my friends. We will call them Bard and Barbarian because that is what they ended up playing. When Rubik's picks up a new player who's had an interest in D&D, we will call him Cleric. They sit not far from us since there are few comfortable chairs in the room and Rubik's hands Cleric a loose sheet of notebook paper and tells him to start making a character. Poor Cleric did not know the first thing about making a character, but instead of helping him, Rubik's goes off to try and recruit more players. Bard, Barbarian and I start talking over Facebook Messenger, poking fun at what kind of game Rubik's would run and feeling bad for Cleric and the Weebanese infested nightmare of katanas and schoolgirls that awaited him. Barbarian wondered if Rubik's even knew how to run a game, saying in chat, you should go over there and show him a thing or two. Now, I knew Rubik's had no resources and Cleric looked like a fish out of water. With all of 3.5e available online, I thought I would give Cleric a helping hand against the nightmare to come. I got up, walked over and introduced myself to Cleric. Bard and Barbarian soon joined me. As Rubik's returned, Bard, Barbarian and I expressed an interest in this game, simply to see what would happen and to show solidarity with Cleric. Bard and Barbarian created a Bard and a Barbarian. I needed to know more about the world before choosing my class. Rubik's told us it was a science fiction-y fantasy world that he made up. I decided to branch out from my favorite sorcerer class and elected to play a human scion, using a redeemed Sith concept from a Star Wars game that never got off the ground. The level 1 character was already planned out, allowing me to focus on helping Cleric create his addition to the party. My fears about the game were realized, in a way worse than I imagined the moment it started. We started off as high school students. Interesting, seeing as most of our characters were 25 plus years old, mine being in my early 30s, who were working for the nation's king as his security club. We were an organization that acted as spies and guards, that somehow also held more political power than the king at times. There were other absurdly powerful DMPCs within the club, most of which were schoolgirls in the 14 to 17 age range and were somehow more capable at their jobs than the adult members of the club. Furthermore, the few male DMPCs that oddly resembled Rubik's seemed to be a hit with every lady in the organization. 
Every time we talked to a DMPC, they were implied to have just gotten done doing the unspeakable with one or multiple underage girls. As for the DMPCs that were women, their strategy invariably was to seduce our target or screw their way through every obstacle. Again, these were schoolchildren using their bodies as a frequent tactic to great success. Mechanically speaking, Rubik's did not know how to build encounters. Each battle was always a single opponent, whose abilities were heavily homebrewed, rendering us unable to effectively strategize and actually fight them. We had to rely on throwing our DMPC companions at the problem until they either killed it or boned it. Each encounter was woefully balanced against us, with enemies usually being 6 or more CR above what would count as a boss. Our first boss was a Marlith, a CR-19 demon. We were level 2. When confronted about how his characters seemed to be our level, but able to do whatever they wanted, Rubik's replied, if everyone is overpowered, then no one is. We found out later that Rubik's always had some kind of hidden solution other than combat. We would get one-shotted by the big bad evil guy of the session, and he would shrug and smugly tell us, well, you should have researched him a bit more. Unfortunately, more research was not really an option. Rubik's did not have a firm grasp on the concept of player agency. We, as low-ranking members of the club, did not have access to the resources needed to investigate any of our enemies. We were handed a target and a waifu and told to take care of it now. We held fast and survived for six levels before I finally had it with Rubik's garbage. It was time to make some changes. We had returned from a mission and found the castle in disarray. The other members of the security club were not answering their comms, due to God knows what, leaving us to take care of whatever the problem was. Turns out our king was possessed and attacking security club members. For the first time, our godlike companions were incapable of attacking the king, not wanting their excessive power to accidentally kill him. Thinking quickly, I used my pistol, the only weapon I was proficient with, to shoot the king in the legs, which worked after a few quick psychic buffs. I then physically pushed his sword out of his reach when he dropped it. The other club members, after the king was subdued, were dispatched by our adolescent higher-up to clean up the rest of the castle. Rubik's once again left the rest of the party floundering to figure out the next move. That is when an idea came to me. This idea was the beginning of the end. While the group was distracted, I leveled my pistol to the king's head. A gunshot rang out. I executed him without fanfare or hesitation. His throne now empty, I took his crown and his kingdom for myself. Rubik's was surprisingly okay with this, accepting my rule without even a modicum of resistance. I suppose it was because the security club and the pubescent students within held more real power than the actual king, so not much would have changed with my taking the throne. What that afforded me, however, were almost limitless resources that I was free to use as I saw fit. Tapping into my love of Halo and Warhammer 40,000, I spent ludicrous amounts of time and resources constructing a suit of power armor to enhance my lackluster physical capabilities. I also decided to invest in augments to adjust my mental stats, primarily intelligence, and commissioned mind flayers and other scions to amplify my psychic prowess and imbue my armor with other psychic nonsense. Having already gone so far, I thought, why not plate my armor gold and go full god emperor of mankind on Rubik's, flaming greatsword and all. In conjunction, I had made a point to start replacing the security club with a real army. This army was made up of psychic constructs whose purpose was to fight and die, linked to my now overwhelming psychic presence. I will admit, Rubik's impressed me with how he rolled with the punches after I totally derailed the campaign. Assuming I would separate myself from the party to go with the whole running the country and building a psychic army thing, our handler in the security club gave Bard, Barbarian, and Cleric another mission. I dropped in on the conversation, said screw that, and spirited away my party with promises of riches if they aided it in my global conquest. I can't be the Emperor without taking over all of mankind after all. They did not object, because by this point the party had defaulted to me as party leader, being the most experienced player and a weathered GM and would much rather take over the world with me than play the senseless story that Rubik's had. 
Utilizing a few more augments on my party, I played a covert campaign, having bards enhance charisma and heavy investment into bluff and diplomacy infiltrate the courts of each nation. Cleric and Barbarian served as a two-man strike team, dismantling key infrastructures and taking whatever opportunity Bard's intel granted us. Once a nation was significantly weakened, I would swoop in with my unmatched psychic might, an army of psychobots. While we had some close calls, it took us four levels to conquer all but one empire. On top of that, we were nearing the end of the semester, so the story was supposed to be coming to a conclusion soon. During his infiltration of the Last Kingdom, Bard met a being named Durabo. That name sickens me to this day. Of all the overpowered DMPCs in Rubix's game, Durabo was the most broken. He was a level 30 Warblade slash Monk Jestalt with a scythe and black angel wings, overloaded with dummy powerful homebrew feats, more than any I had seen in any of his characters before. On top of that, Durabo had the power to basically cast Wish at will without paying the XP cost. Mind you, we were only level 10 and we were crossing paths with an epic level Jestalt character akin to a PC god in 3.5e. Now, Rubix liked to monologue. It was sometimes impossible to tell if we were playing D&D or listening to a parody of DBZ. So when Bard questioned Durabo about how he was so absurdly powerful, he explained in great, agonizing detail. I blocked most of it out, but what it boiled down to was that the universe we were playing in was the dream world of the real world, and our real world was the dream world of the game. If a being who lived in one world managed to cross over into the other, they had powers to bend reality to their will, kind of like how you can control a lucid dream. It would have been a cool concept if it didn't come from absolutely nowhere, hitting us with an all your trials were meaningless implication. Bard relayed the information to me, concerned that we might not be able to defeat Durabo and overtake the last empire. I was more optimistic. If I could cross the veil and come back, I would be able to simply will the empire under my control. At the very least, that would force Durabo into a stalemate. Barbarian Cleric and I retreated back to the palace and started to research our way to my passage into the real world. I invested all my resources into research, even halting the production of new soldiers enough to defend my strongholds and quell rebellions as I needed. Durabo, strangely, was only concerned with defending the last empire, so he did not interrupt me. It took several sessions of experimentation, but with enough high rolls in research, I was able to cross the veil between worlds and back. A few more sessions passed. Rubik's granted me mastery of these reality-controlling powers and gave me reality revision, the psychic version of Wish, at will for free. The session ended on that note, since most of us had been playing for several hours at that point and we had to either go home or to our night exams. What that granted me was time to plan. I went home that night and poured over D&D documents and forums. I knew you had to lawyer the crap out of wishes so they do not go horribly awry, so I started to draft a document. The document, unfortunately, does not exist anymore since it was on a computer that has since died and been replaced, so I can't reference specifics but I still remember the broad details. I decided to take the angle of adding a new psionic effect to the armor, seeing as how it is a listed effect of reality revision, and thus one of those things not included in the part where it says a GM can screw with it. It however did not say exactly what constituted as additional psionic effects, so I ran with that, saying that the armor permanently granted me things like 30 levels in all classes, all spells, arcane and divine, as psychic powers, infinite power points, 20 plus divine ranks, basically anything that turned me into something more broken than Durabo could ever hope to be and I guess that thing was God. But I was not satisfied with God. To ensure that he couldn't just rocks fall me or obliterate me with my own awesome, which he should have, I ensured that the armor granted me an immortality that specifically said I could not be killed, destroyed, erased, unmade or otherwise removed from existence by any force, being, power or event that has, does or ever will exist. Just to be safe, I listed that one first, so the following effects did not blow me up before that one kicked in. When I finished my document, it was 8 pages long, front and back. 
It was perfect, easily the single most airtight wish I had ever seen. I added a nice little cover page, printed it off, stapled it together and tucked it away in my bag. I fell asleep that night with a devious smile on my face, waiting to see what would happen. I was the first one there the next morning. I exchanged my pleasantries with Bard, Barbarian and Cleric when they arrived. The party felt my excitement, but they were not sure what for. Rubik's arrived, started the session and asked me what I wanted to do with my new power. It was here that I opened my bag and placed the packet on the table. I'm not sure if I slammed it down or slid it over to him menacingly. All I remember was saying, I do this. I had a suspicion Rubik's would let me do it. If everyone is overpowered, no one is after all. Rubik's in response declared that my sudden and overwhelming presence did a number to the fabric of both realities and thus it all came collapsing down with a smug look on his face. Everything was destroyed. No one survived. Reality was erased from existence and the game was over. Congrats. This was, I believe, his attempt at trying to punish me for taking so much power. Durabo was his bait. I took it and paid the ultimate price, taking my players down with me in my hubris. I'll give him credit, it was a smart play. Or so he thought. His biggest mistake was only skimming my packet, having assumed his way would be had in the end. When he told me I was destroyed, I pointed out to him the first line of my revision. You know, the one that kept me from accidentally deleting myself? The thing that made me immune to every kind of you stop existing by anything that has existed and never will exist? Yeah, so what? That includes me. I technically cannot delete myself. I don't think anyone was prepared for my surviving a total collapse of reality, in an empty void of absolute nothingness, where not even time existed. Yet, I did. I did with all of my powers still intact. I was in a blank canvas, ready to establish the machinations of my will on a grand cosmic scale. And I did just that. Using my infinite power, I built a new multiverse. I made new gods, NPCs, planets, stars, histories. I even reconstituted my old party, so they could experience this new world, where they were powerful and prosperous kings, as a thank you for helping me in my ascension. I was in the middle of describing how I planted a tree, from which the multiverse would grow and whatnot, when Bard piped up, hold on, did you just become the DM? Everyone's jaw dropped, even mine. I guess I hadn't noticed it, but since I created the multiverse, it was technically my campaign now. Rubik's was not happy to say the least. It's still my campaign, guys. I'm the one that created this game. You deleted your game, Bard added. You did it when he made his wish thing. That you didn't make the universe we're in right now. Scion did. You can't just overthrow a DM. That's not how D&D &D works. You don't even know how D&D &D works, Barbarian added. You can't run a game for crap. The back and forth went for a while, Cleric and me staying out of it, but it boiled down to the party having more fun when I was taking them along than when we were playing Rubik's story. So they would rather I run this group. Rubik's declared that we just didn't understand his story, like we weren't smart enough or something, and stormed off in a huff. The other players were still hyped to play some D&D, and Cleric was super excited to play a game I ran. We spent the rest of the day in that room, playing a one-off, and having a good time screwing around in a randomly generated dungeon. That group lasted until I graduated the next summer. I've since moved away, built a Pathfinder group, and made a fledgling GM out of my girlfriend. I still keep in contact with Cleric, Bard, and Barbarian, and every now and again they ask when I will be back in town so we can play a game like old times. I do have to pay some tribute to Rubik's though. For all his faults, he did create a memorable campaign, even if it was for all the wrong reasons. And in the end, if it weren't for him, Richteros would have never ascended to his rightful place as the progenitor of the multiverse. What an incredible twist! A DM deleting his own game to be usurped by a player. I guess next time you give a player a wish, have your lawyer look it over before granting it. Have you ever pulled a fast one on the DM? Please let us know and comment below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel All Things D&D. Our next video will be posted in two days, so stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content.